thanks for thanks for being here. This is really really cool. Um, let me tell you kind of uh, the background of of what where this kind of came from. Um, basically, like for years, I, I've been doing this for years, um, and I have seen like I've had this privileged position up here on this platform to kind of look out at people. And for years now, I, I've seen, I get to see all the expressions on people's faces. Um, and, you know, I see people who are just kind of really like, um, well, what we would call like visibly worshiping, you know, they're really like, you know, they're just really kind of connecting with God. And then I see like faces of utter confusion. Um, I see people who, you know, might be just like crying and weeping. And I see people who look bored out of their skull. Um, and that's not like just at E3, that's, that just goes all the way back. And so, um, but this is sort of the first time in my life that, or in my career as a worship leader, that I've really kind of felt like led to sort of say, well, maybe, maybe we should talk a little bit about worship, because it's obvious that some people kind of understand the context of what, and it works for them. And then some other folks are just like, I don't know what the heck these people are doing. You know, and, and that's always going to be true, I think, um, of the church. So uh, it's, it's a, I call it sometimes just the peculiar thing we do. Because most of the time, if you hang around the church at all, you're, we're used to it. We know we're supposed to stand up. Some of us raise our hands and, and whatnot. But people who aren't as used to church culture sometimes find it very, very odd. And so um, because of, of that and because of the fact that even though it's kind of a, a strange thing we do, it's also not optional in any form of the imagination. Like, it, like God just decrees it. Like as a people, we are supposed to be worshiping people. So given that it's not an option, it was like, well, what can we do to kind of, or what can I do to kind of maybe make it more accessible to people? And, and then um, kind of right alongside that, there was this thought of really this thing started for the, the musical worship team here at E3 because um, it's sort of our job every week to kind of help facilitate this time of allowing people to connect with God. And so I started thinking, well, um, we should probably all have a baseline understanding of what it is that we're supposed to do. And I don't mean to kind of make it sound crass to call it a job. I, I actually mean job in the best possible sense. Like that is our, our, our sacred trust every week to, to make this uh, possible for this community to connect with God. So I was like, well, I should come up with a way to kind of help the musical worship team understand kind of my theology or my approach to worship. And then kind of in that, I was like, well, yeah, we should just open it up to the entire church because maybe they, they would be curious too. And so here we all are. Um, I really want to spend the time at the end of these four weeks to not just talk about musical worship in a scriptural and theological sense, but like uh, particularly about E3. Uh, because one of the things that I've discovered about churches is, is that worship is really contextual. Like different churches in different time periods worship in different ways. And E3 is in some ways a very unique beast. So uh, we're not just going to talk about worship in a broad scale, like as the weeks go on, we're going to kind of get more and more particular about like, all right, so what does this look like at E3? And uh, not that we do anything really mysterious, but um, 
you know, why do we do some of the things we do at E3? And that, that'll be hopefully beneficial for you guys on the worship team, but also anybody else who happens to, to hear this. Um, so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to come at this as sort of a few different ways. We're going to take a lot of look at the scriptures. We're going to take a lot of look at history and church traditions throughout the year. Um, we're going to spend some time breaking up into smaller groups to let you guys talk about things. If you guys have any specific questions that you want to ask me, you know, either email them to me or write them down. Somehow get them to me, and I'll do my best to answer them either here or one-on-one. Um, but one of the things, if you know me at all, is that I really, um, like I come at things from a, to a certain degree from an intellectual perspective. Like I like to think things through. So we're going to spend a lot of time like examining words and examining concepts and examining like, um, you know, what this means from Scripture and what it means to us. So I'm just kind of laying out what, uh, what it's going to look like. Each week, we'll probably have like a certain amount of teaching from me, and then we'll break up into groups. Tonight's probably going to be the most teaching, um, just because I feel like there's some foundational things that I want to get to. And uh, next week, I can't believe I'm actually going to try to do this, but next week we're going to try to walk through the entire history of, of worship of, from the people of God, from like Israel to, to you know, now. So we're trying to kind of touch like the major traditions of, of worship in the church, and we'll get a chance to kind of tell our stories. And then the, um, this is important, like we're going to skip, wait, week three, whatever week Holy Week is, so that would be like uh, the 8th, I think, April 8th, we're not going to meet, because frankly, I'll be crazy preparing for Easter, and, and I think it's just a good time to kind of press pause. So we're going to skip that week, and then we'll pick up. I don't know if that's week, I think it's week, supposed to be week three. Um, but at any rate, the third time we get together, we'll talk about sort of modern worship music. So uh, to me, like, that's sort of what's gone on since like 1975, sort of the evangelical church, which is what E3 is. If you don't know, like E3 is sort of an evangelical church. That's a broad name. doesn't mean anything too freaky. It's just kind of uh, some certain um, beliefs and certain approaches to, to spirituality. Can someone give that to James? Um, and then week four is we'll really dig into like, okay, this is E3. This is, this is what we do. Um, and, and hopefully in that time also give you guys some pointers to specifically like address how you individually approach worship and how you individually approach worship at E3. So that's the way it's going to go. Um, you know, like any study, you get out of this what you put into it. Um, so if you come just ready to check it off, you know, you can check it off and go on your way. Uh, if there's some scripture to read, I would encourage you just to read it, dig into it, meditate on it, enter into the discussions. The more, the deeper you go into this thing, the more rewarding it will um, ultimately be for you. So does anybody have any questions right off the bat? Good. I, I would hope not because um, I haven't really said anything. Consequence. Yeah. So anyway, um, so uh, my ultimate hope in this, and this needs to be said very, very clearly, is is not that we'll we'll um, know worship better. Like my ultimate hope is is not that we're better, uh, like technique-wise worshipers. 
Um, worship is a very like in word right now, very faddish. It's big, um, big business, you know. But the point is not worship is not the point. Like God is the point. So my whole intention of is 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 that we would. Um, kind of learn some of the background, learn some of the context that would allow us to come into this place or any other church on a Sunday or whenever and be able to enter in more deeply to connection with God. All right, And I, I want to, you know, we're going to be talking about worship repeating. I'm, I'm going to be saying the word worship repeatedly, but that is not the point. Uh, and it's like uh, a good metaphor that, uh, that, is, that I've heard talked about is like, um, microscope versus telescope. You know, a microscope is something that you use to make something very, very small appear very, very large so that you can examine it. Um, what we're talking about here is more of a telescope approach. Telescopes are used to just take things that are immense, huge, beyond our abilities to, to, to see, um, but they might be far away and they might be fuzzy, and a telescope brings them into our understanding, you know? And so um, as f- what, what this talk is, is so hopefully if you don't know how the telescope works, you'll know how the telescope works. But the point of having a telescope is not to have a cool telescope. The point of having a telescope is to see out into space and to be able to understand what's going on. So... Um, I've had reservations because of that whole thing about teaching about worship, but as long as we can be clear, um, then I'll, I'll be comfortable. So I thought, um, I thought I would talk about who I am as a worship leader because that really affects um, my understanding of this whole topic. So I'm going to tell you guys my story, and some of you guys may know it, so sorry if this is repeating, but... I grew up, uh, grew up in the United Methodist Church, and uh, I guess our family would be considered a somewhat devout family. Like, we were there every Sunday. We had our pew, you know, if you've ever been in like that, like it was our pew, you know. And God knows what would have happened if someone was sitting there when we walked in. But it was like, I think we were like five right, five back on the right. And uh, I grew up there. But uh, like most people, like as soon as I had the option to, to leave and not go, I was like out the door. Uh, something about that tradition just never really connected with me, although now it gives me kind of pleasant feelings of, of, of comfort when I think about that. It wasn't connecting with me as a young person. So I left it, left the church, kind of went on my own journey for a, a long time. Um, now... Um, about 15 or 16, I discovered the electric guitar and I discovered rock and roll. And that is a huge part of, of who I am. I started playing, um, you know, semi-professionally or professionally by when I was 18 or 19. So from that point on, you know, even till now, you know, I, there's these two themes of like, okay, Eric is a church guy, but Eric is also a professional musician. And... Um, and that's a huge part of my identity. It's a huge part of the way I connect with God, believe it or not, is just through music. So fast forward to about 1998. My wife, Shana, and I, we moved to Chicago. Um, I started attending 
and participating in the, in the worship ministry of like the largest church in, one of the largest churches in North America. It's a huge thing. You know, from there, I actually ended up going on staff at this humongous church. And the, the, the crazy thing is, just remember all the time, I never had any designs on this. I did not go to seminary. I didn't go to school. No worship leading training thing. I was just a, a, a punk musician that could play guitar really well and had a passion that was just raw and wanted to somehow see um, our community at that time connect with God. Um, I never planned it, but here I am. The average career of a worship leader, in, especially in the evangelical church, is anywhere from 18 to 36 months. Like, seriously, like, you're like, no, no. But I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's really what it is. I've been doing this now for 11 years. And um, it's, a, it's a season that God has just constantly had me in. And when it's over, it's over. But to say, it's just the point is, is like, I've been around and I've been doing this now for a while. Um, I've been blessed to lead worship in Europe a couple times. I've led worship in conferences around the United States and churches around the United States. Um, for a while, I toured as the guitar player for a guy named Matt Redman, who writes a lot of songs that we play here, and a guy named Tim Hughes, who wrote Here I Am to Worship, if you know that song. And I played guitar for that guy, for, for Matt, for about three years. Um, I've planted a few churches. The, small, I, the smallest churches I've led worship for were like 10 people in a room with acoustic guitar. And I've been a part of leading worship for 35,000 people at a festival. So... Like, this is not at all to blow my horn. It's just to say that, like, I've, I've been blessed with a huge variety of experiences in my career. And, and that has all, like, in, informed the way I approach worship. Um, you know, to kind of push, the, uh, to push it a little bit further, like, um, I've led worship in a largely, like, predominantly Asian congregation, I've led contemporary African-American worship. I've sung songs in Spanish. I've sung songs for like contemplative services. So it, it all leads into this thing where I look at worship as like, I, I've been able to kind of like see this tradition and take some from this tradition and see some, something from this tradition and take something from here. So I look at, I look at this topic as like a huge horizon. Um, I'm not really beholden to like, you know, like, high church or mainline church, I, that might be kind of, you know, you know, words that don't mean much to you guys. But like, no denomination has ever sort of said, you know, like, this is the way you're going to worship. And in fact, a, a really f a good friend of mine once just said, never be afraid of, um, never be afraid of a, of a worshiping, you know, tradition if people are you know, speaking in tongues or whatever. Only be afraid if someone tries to convince you that that's the only way to worship. So I'm kind of like, well, you know, Sky is the limit. So, um, and that kind of affects a lot of how I approach what we do here at E3. Um, one last sort of caveat before we jump in a little bit more is that um, this is probably a more of a reminder, but worship is simultaneously like an, an individual act and a corporate act. So individual worship can mean anything. You know, it's like getting up and going to, going to your work. That's an act of worship. You do your job well. You know, cooking dinner for your family. That's an act of worship. Um, walking through a forest. You know, some people connect with God really strongly through nature. Um, but we can't all take a walk in the forest. And I dare say some of us would be creeped out of our minds 
if we were walking through a forest, uh, looking, I'd be more looking for snakes and bugs than connecting with God. So like there's, this, there's worship as an, individual, as an individual phenomenon, which can be just about anything. Like the bottom line is, are you connecting with God? Are you, are you, are you thanking your creator? But worship as a, as a corporate thing, is what we're really going to be more concerned about. And specifically, uh, eventually at E3, like worship as a musical event, because that's, uh, in a sense, what, what, worship, um, what worship sort of means to E3 for the most part. It's this 25 minutes that we spend together singing. So um, please always keep that in mind, because again, like this is really contextualized for E3, but there's a larger worship world out there that, um, that, ex- that exists. Um, so, with all that being said, uh, I just wanted to kind of establish tonight some foundations. So, this is the playing field that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And to do that, we need sort of a definition. And so, here, can someone pass that handout all the way back there? Um, so, um, there's a lot of definitions of worship. This is kind of one that has always kind of spoken to me. And uh, like a good instructor, I try to leave blanks on your handout for it. Um, but I don't even know where this came from. I saw it on a vineyard site, but I don't think that they were the source of this definition. It is that worship is our response to who God is and what he's done for us. Worship is our response to who God is and what he's done for us. I like this because I think it really gets at the essence of some essentials, but it doesn't hem us in too much. So there's three parts to this definition that I want to just talk about briefly. The first is that concept of worship is a response and the reason I like that word is that it gets at this idea of um, God is the actor in the world, not us. We are responders to God. And a lot of times we make, a lot, we make much of ourselves. Like we wake up in the morning, hey, good morning, God, you know, and we're ready and we think that we have all these kind of um, great thoughts and, and Praise, you know, praises to God, but Scripture says that the one who watches over Israel does not sleep, does not sleep. And, uh, and God is the initiator of everything, from creation to, like, essentially grace. And so I love the idea that as we come to worship God, we are not initiators of the worship event. We are responders to God and to God first. But in the second half of that is that the concept of response is a little bit, I like that word because even though it could certainly encompass like just having a warm, fuzzy feeling or a nice smile or glowing in your heart, the, the concept of having a response is, is there's also a, a, a thought of something that's action-oriented. Like we are supposed to respond to this God, not just think about it, not just consider it but respond to it. The second, uh, the second part of the definition is just these uh, three words, you know, who God is. So the, 
to start off really basically, it's focused on um, the Christian God, you know, Yahweh, Jehovah, El Shaddai, you know, all the names that he's known for. That's just, you know, to be really basic, it starts there. But there's also this other concept of, of we're called to worship God for, I'm trying to be really clear here, for who he is. And what I mean by that is like, okay, I've got two kids, you know, and once a year at, at Christmas time, you know, we, we, we don't go crazy, but we, we like to have, you know, fun Christmases. And uh, we celebrate birthdays, and they get their gifts. But... I would feel pretty badly if I got the feeling that my children only loved me because of the cool things I give them. And God is no different. It's very easy to confuse the gifts and the giver. And this part of this definition is a gentle reminder to say, like, worship starts with God's character, not the gifts he's given, not the cool things he's done in our life, but the essential elements of his character. And to do this, you have to know who God is. And so uh, there's this hard part about worship that is, has nothing to do with Sunday. You want to worship God more, compel- more deeply, more compelling, more intimately, you have to know who he is. And the way you know who God is is through his, uh, his word, through his church, through the Holy Spirit. And that's just kind of the way the equation works. Um, but, you know, on the plus side of that, uh, if, you've, if you've struggled with that or if, you, if that doesn't make sense, the only thing I can tell you is based on my own testimony that, yes, the more you know God's character, the more you know... Um, okay, I might not be feeling those gifts right now. You know, it, it, uh, the scripture says that God is, you know, merciful. I don't feel that mercy right now, but I know my God is merciful. So by golly, I am going to worship him because of who he is in faith. And that avoids this what, what I like to call just the what have you done for me lately. You know, because a lot of us, I mean, we're human and it's understandable, but sometimes we can be like, well, you haven't done anything for me, God, so why would I give it up to you? And, and, and to really be, I can be overly blunt sometimes, but if we worship like that, we're no different than pagans. I mean, that's unfortunately the blunt, hard part of it. Um, it's like that, it's like that um, scripture where it says, you know, um, I think it's James when he says, you know, so you call Jesus Lord. Even the demons do that. You know, and it's, it's almost the same sort of concept. Like, so you worship God when times are good. Even the pagans can say, hey, all right, you know, the sun is shining and I'm going swimming in the ocean today. God's good. But, but when, we, when we know that God is good because of his character and those timeless things and we still choose to worship, that's, I think, the mark of, of um, a really deep relationship with God. But the good news is there's this last, last half of the definition, and that is what has God done for us. And that's just a good reminder that our God is a God who acts, and he's acted through history for his people over and over again. Um, so we get to celebrate that. You know, to start with uh, just walking briefly through kind of a few events of Scripture, the Exodus. You know, the Exodus was Israel's central 
central celebratory thing, you know? And over and over again in, in God's people's lives, they just kind of said, hey, remember that time when we were in Egypt and like there was no hope and then God did this thing? And so we worship a God who loves to act and has acted. And we look back at the, that and we go, yeah, absolutely. Our God does things for his people. Uh, a great passage, if, if you want to kind of hear one of my favorite sort of uh, sections of the Bible is Isaiah 40 to 43. And it's just over and over again, God saying uh, in, in the uh, version, that I, version of the Bible that I use, starts a lot, it says, thus saith the Lord. And it's over and over again, God saying, hey, who do, you put, who do you think put those stars up there? Who do, you, who do you think brought you out of Egypt? Guess what? Guess what? I did. And it's like this great passage of Scripture where, where he is over and over going like, all those things, it's me. It's me. It's me. And um, that just really, it resonates with my personality when God just kind of stands up and goes like, I'm going to claim some of this stuff for myself. Let's not be ambiguous. So if, uh, if you're looking for just kind of a, a review of some of God's actions and some really evocative language, poetic language, read those three or four chapters in Isaiah. It's really good. Of course, like we have the passion narratives, again, where he's kind of acting to, to vindicate Jesus as his son and as the Messiah, you know, Matthew 26 to, to 28. You know, read that stuff again of like God's act, active in history. And then moreover than that is like we have this other great resource, and that's our personal stories, you know, our testimonies, kind of a churchy word to put it, that we can kind of remind each other, hey, you know, I was, I was really messed up, I was hurting, and then God did this, or God just kind of comforted me in this way. And we kind of blow that off sometimes, like, oh, you know, that's just life, but it's so much more than life. Um, the Israelites, you know, every time God would do something cool, they would take a bunch of rocks and they would like pile these rocks together and they were altars. And then they, and every time they would see these rocks, they'd be able to go, you know what those rocks mean? That was a time when God acted to save us. You know, when we were goners and God intervened and in our culture today, we don't have very many altars, um, Piling rocks on the side of the road is not a, a, a popular thing. But where, does, where do those altars exist in your own life? You know, for me, like I, I try to keep a few items around my office or around my home that are just kind of reminders of a time when like God was particularly good. And if you're a, um, I'm a journaling person. I started journaling like 12 years ago. Every year I buy a new one. Those are the best altars you can possibly have, you know? Like, I know some of us guys might look at it like it's like a diary or whatever, but no, it's like these are, these are ways to remember God's actions in our lives, and it takes us back to this definition of worship, our response to, to the goodness of God, and there are times when life will get dark and life will get hard, and sometimes... You know, I'll go back and I'll just crack a journal from like three years ago, four years ago, and I'll just be reminded of something um, that God did. And, uh, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't always fall on my knees and weep and cry, for, but it's just a gentle nudging. of Like, hey, God acts. He's not, 
He's not too far away. You know, he's, he's there. So that's our definition uh, of, of worship. It's very simple, but I feel like it, it really, um, it's, it's, it's biblical. It's, uh, it's a strong paradigm to operate in. But what we're going to do is spend the, the, the remaining few minutes that, uh, that we're going to talk tonight, because it probably won't go very long tonight, is just looking at what the scriptures say about worship. And I'll tell you right off the bat, there is no definition of like worship in scripture. You know, there's nowhere that says, okay, make sure you sing three songs and then the pastor preaches a good message and then there's two more or something like that. It just doesn't exist. But throughout all of uh, the Bible, there are terms and words and concepts that kind of pop, you know, pop in. And so we're going to just spend... Um, a few minutes looking at some Hebrew words and some Greek words, neither of which I speak. So if there are any Hebrews or Greeks here, I apologize for what I'm about to do to your language. Um, so let's take a look at the Old Testament. We're going to just divide them up. And let me also say that there's more words than this, but these are sort of the most popular words that are, that are used. So the Old Testament is first this word, called saha. Everybody just say that. Saha. Saha is like to worship and to bow down. And uh, this is a term that is actually more used for an earthly ruler than a necessarily like a spiritual, a spiritual connotation to bow down before God. The first time this is used in the Bible is Genesis 18 uh, verse 2. And where, what this happens is a really cool story where Abram, who is not yet Abraham, he's hanging out in his tent, and these three strangers come, and they hang out with him, and sort of in the middle of it, well, in, as they approach him, Abram bows down to them as sort of homage to, to you know, what these guys end up being angels. But that's the word that, it used, that they use there, saha. Uh, another word is something that'll be a little bit more familiar, and that's halal. Everyone say that, halal. Um, to praise, to celebrate, or to boast. And this forms the basis of, can anybody guess? No. <laughs> that's, for, that's for not bringing ice cream for everybody. Um, no, this forms the basis for the word hallelujah. Okay, which is interesting. It's technically hallelujah is translated, let us praise Yah. Because if you guys know anything about the Hebrew culture, they, they would not speak the name of God, right? Yahweh, they would not speak it. It was so holy. So uh, sort of a, an, an alliterative way that they would end up saying it is just Yah, you know? And so hallelujah is basically let us praise Yah. And this word first appears in Genesis 12, 15, which is also a story of Abram. If you remember the story, Abram takes his wife Sarah to Egypt, and he disguises Sarah as, anybody know, his, his sister, because he thinks Pharaoh's going to steal his wife. And uh, so Pharaoh sees Sarah, who I guess is a beautiful woman, and the word he uses to sort of celebrate or praise her beauty is 
halal or halel also. And this is my favorite word, and I think Mark's used this as well. The, the last word is yada. That's it, yes, yada. Uh, to give thanks and to praise. And it's a very common word uh, for praise. And like I said, there's, there, are other, there are other words, but these sort of make up um, the bulk of, of how the Hebrews referred to the concept of worshiping God, praising God. Now we're going to move to the New Testament where things are a little bit, um, I think there's a little bit more evocative language. The first word, hmm, proskuneo. Does everyone say that? Proskuneo. To do reverence to, and it comes from the combination of two Greek words, two Greek words, pros, which means towards, and kuneo, which means to kiss. So it's this concept of basically like sort of kissing, not sort of in a, you know, uh, affectionate way, but kissing sort of more in a reverent way towards, uh, towards God. It is the most frequent, frequently used word in the New Testament when referring to worship of God uh, in some form or fashion. Uh, another word is sub, sebamai. Sebamai. Everyone say that? Sebamai. To revere. Stressing the feeling of awe. awe. And then the last word that we'll look at tonight is the word latreo. Everyone say that, latreo. To serve or to render religious service. And again, this forms the basis of another English word that's a little bit more familiar to us. And that's the word liturgy. So latreo to render religious service, forms the basis of our word liturgy. And I've heard liturgy, uh, and also this word, defined as the work of the people. And I love that, I love that term. As a worship leader, it's a, it's a good reminder to me that worship is not about this. It's not about this platform. It's not about what happens. Uh, liturgy, of course, if, if you come from a Anglican or a Presbyterian, a high church background, you're very familiar with this term liturgy. That's the way, uh, that's sort of the, the encompassing term that they would refer to like their worship services. Like you say the liturgy, you sort of process through the liturgy on a given Sunday. And that concept of like being like, it's the work of the people. It's like, it's not the work of the musicians up here or the worship leader. It's worship is our collective work. So those are, those are the, the terms that, that kind of Scripture starts with, and uh, it, does not get, it doesn't get clearer from there. Uh, when you start talking about worship and how it looked in the Bible, you start talking about archaeology and, and a certain amount of guesswork and a certain amount of puzzle, puzzle pieces of linking things together. Well, we think it looked like this, and we think it must have been like this. But those are the terms that we're going to start with. But if you know me at all, um, even though I love to come at things from sort of an intellectual approach, if you've watched me up here, you know that like that's only the half of it. Like there's this sort of raw, emotive side to me. And so what I wanted to do um, before we kind of split up for just a brief time of getting to know each other is I want to kind of talk to you guys on a real heart level about what worship is. Um, so... Uh, Worship is 
the place where we get reminded of who we are and who God is. Um, it's the place where we come into contact where, with the basic truths of our character and the basic truths of God's character. Uh, and essentially what this means to me is when I enter into worship, I am reminded that I am a deeply flawed person, but I worship a deeply loving God. And we see this in Isaiah 6, this guy who is uh, worshiping, and, and all of a sudden he has this vision of God, and God being enthroned in the temple, and there's angels there covering their faces, and Isaiah uh, sees the glory of God, and he gets confronted with, with God's holiness and, his, and his, uh, just the overpowering truth of who God is and the overpowering truth of who, of who Isaiah is. And he says, woe is me. Like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips living with an unclean people. And, uh, I mean... It doesn't get any rawer to me than that. I mean, we look at Scripture sometimes as this kind of like, oh, you know, that's Bible language. But, I mean, can you imagine? Like, just the, the, the just being in that place where you are exposed for who you really are. But in that moment, in that same moment, Scripture says that God comes to Isaiah with a coal and he cleanses his lips and basically says, like, I am cleansing you to now be my prophet. So in the same moment that we are like, I am I'm an unclean man, God basically goes to Isaiah and prepares him for service. And then shortly after that, you know, God's like, who's going to go? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. And Isaiah is sent as a prophet. We step out in worship of, um, or I step out anyway, of this consumeristic, narcissistic, materialistic society that I live in six days a week. And I come into contact with this being and this person that uh, is so much bigger than I am and doesn't care at all what I think in a sense. And what, let me unpack that because I know God is, is in a sense, um, like he is there with us in our pain. But I don't, wanna, I don't want to serve necessarily a God that, that is like, are you, are, you, are you feeling bad today? Are you feeling bad? God, in a sense, is like, I have a plan and I am in control and I am sovereign over all this. And I understand that you might be feeling bad, but guess what? Like, God to me says, I understand you're feeling bad, but guess what? I'm still God. I don't waver. I don't change. I'm up there, or I'm, I'm with you. And uh, in a world where I can pick and choose DVRs, iPods, you know, if, if someone, uh, if I don't like somebody on Twitter or MySpace, I'm like, beep, you're gone. You know, you are no longer my friend. You can't like unfriend or unfollow God. God is like, I don't work on those terms. You work on my terms. And that just reminds me constantly of like, okay, 
there's somebody in control of this whole thing, and it ain't me, and it's no one that thinks like me or acts like me. And that's very comforting to me. He has an agenda, and he has his plans. Worship is simultaneously this place of like deep, deep feeling for me, and at, and at the same time a place that is utterly not dependent on my feelings at all. You know, when I first made my faith my own, I mean, every, and, and when I first lead, started leading worship, every time I led worship, man, tears just gushing. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hardly speak, you know, I was just like, you know. And um, I went through this, I mean, probably five years ago, I went through this really big crisis where all of a sudden the tears weren't coming anymore. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, God, are you removing your mantle? Are you removing, this, you know, this, again, churchy words? But are, basically, God, are you through with me as a worship leader? Because I don't, I'm not feeling it anymore. And then I had to transcend to this thing of, of basically saying like, hey, doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter. God's still worthy to be praised. So I, this might be, I don't mean to be crass or melodramatic, but there are times, guys, that I walk up on this stage and I stand in front of this community and I don't feel like worshiping, much less leading people. But that's that time where I'm like, worship isn't about feeling, it's about obedience. And it's about being faithful, and it's about also seeing this community and going like, it doesn't, I, I, I don't matter. God wants to meet with his people. So um, that's kind of where I am kind of leaning into this commandment of, of worship, this commandment to sing God's praises no matter how I feel, no matter how uh, self-conscious I might feel. You know, when I first started coming into more charismatic meetings, not, this is not necessarily a charismatic environment at E3, but, you know, I'd see people raising their hands or whatever, and I'd be like, oh, man, those are like freaky Jesus roller, you know, holy roller people. Um, and, and years into my journey, like, my perspective of that has changed. And I realize that, like, sometimes God wants us to just get over ourselves and just not necessarily, like, make a complete fool out of ourselves, but take a step of faith to say, like, I'm just not all that. I'm just not that important. And it's more important that I sing loudly to remind the generations. It's kind of a psalm word, you know, like, we're reminding each other of God's goodness. Um, kind of close with this. Um, one of the things that seized me early on as I was learning about worship is this idea that Paul gets at in Corinthians. You know, one day, so much of what the church exists for will not be necessary. You know, one day, we will not need to be taught anymore. We will not need to hear another message because, as Paul says, like, we will know fully because um, we will see Jesus face to face in his presence. Um, as one guy put it to me once, you know, in eternity, no one's ever going to stand up and go like, yeah, this is great, but when's the message going to start? Like, there will be no message. There will be work, and there will be worship, and there will be living in the presence of God. And uh, I used to think that heaven was like in this eternal singing of word, and like, that was very boring to me, but... Um, Heaven is so much, I, I don't know what it ultimately is, or I don't know what eternity is, but I know it's going to be exciting, and I know it's going to be life lived um, as real as life can be, and as fulfilling as life can be. 
And in that uh, is going to be worship as completely as it can be. Um, so worship is eternal. Worship is something that we are practicing to do now and that we're just going to get better as we get to know Jesus more. And one day it'll be full and complete and in his presence, you know, face to face. So again, like I'm excited as to what God is going to do. I, my, the prayer in my heart of hearts is that at the end of these four weeks, like that, uh, you know, almost that nothing I would say is going to be remembered, but just that we would learn to take bigger, more compelling snapshots of God and carry them in here on a Sunday morning and declare his goodness, you know, to the nations and declare it to the generations. You know, this church is so great because there's like such a wide diversity of ages and, and backgrounds that come in here on every Sunday. And just the concept of like looking and declaring God's goodness to each other across generational lines, across economic lines is a great thing. So um, that's all I have to say tonight. Thank you.